From the banks of Dewey Lake, it's the Dewey Pod Monster. Welcome back, everyone. This is John. I'm coming at you from Michigan. Uh, This is the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. Uh, This is your podcast about consumption. With me, as always this week, is my co-host and the authority on Michigan craft beer, and occasionally James Wan hype man, Sean. Sean, how are you doing today? I still, I'm still not ever going to get used to being James. Number one, being James Wan's hype man, and number two, being the authority on Michigan craft beer. There's so nobody going to argue with me about it, so it's got to be you know self-proclaimed title. I could argue with you. I just don't care to. <laughs> I know that's the that's the beauty of it. I'll I'll argue more if you keep using the the authority and. Equating it to Ohio State, that will what, that will be. What are you talking about? I never said that. I just said the. I thought we heard that at one point. I I think you're hearing things. How's James Wan doing? He's he's well. He had to drop out of the Fast and Furious, the new one. He had to drop out of being the director. Well, I haven't talked to him lately, but as far as I know, he is still not directing the new Fast and Furious. It's disappointing. Does he have any other projects that we need to know about? Perhaps something. Uh... Involving cars and the rock. He has requested that I not talk about his personal life, so I don't know. Do I, can't, an I, I can't say anything. <laughs> yeah. NDA. <laughs> Our NDA has been signed and sealed and delivered. Well, that's disappointing. So uh, it's been a little bit since we've caught up on just kind of random odds and ends that we've been keeping an eye on. Uh, I know you said you had some, some couch time recently. What did you catch up on over the last week or so? Yeah, it's funny enough. We talked about on the Brew Detroit episode that everyone in this house, except for me, had COVID. And later that week, as you you could guess it, how, how, what is that? You don't even know what that phrase is. You guessed it. There we go. Uh, you guessed you got it. Screwed. I got, yeah, I got the COVID on my birthday. I found out on my birthday that I had it. So I had a lot of time to catch up. So just a selection, a slim Quick selection. Yeah, right. Hey, happy birthday. You're sick. Uh, I did get to take some time off work, so that was a decent gift. I wouldn't complain about that. But I got a lot of time to to watch a selection of things. So I'm just going to run down, and if you want to ask me questions about any of it, I'll just kind of fill you in on what they are. So I finished the Wu-Tang Legacy show, whatever that's called, the Wu-Tang show. I watched... uh, I really hope it's just called the Wu-Tang show, because that would make it... Just on the title alone, more entertaining from what hey, everybody it's, it's the Wu Tang show. It's not right. definitely not called that, but it's something like the legacy of Wu Tang or Wu Tang and American Legacy. So I watched that. I want Pat Sajak to inter- uh, introduce the Wu Tang show as, you know, with Vanna White showing some kind of slide of, you know, ODB or something. They should be on the, the some of the members because they're not all surviving, but some of the members should be on Wheel of Fortune. They should just have a, a Wu Tang week or something. There's probably enough for a week and let the champion carry on or Jeopardy. I totally watch that. So yeah. Wu-Tang Jeopardy would be good too. So, But they, it doesn't all have to be questions about Wu-Tang though. How about Wu-Tang Price is Right? Eh, what, would you, no. what would be the prizes? Who cares? I just want to see Wu-Tang doing things on TV. They could play the, uh, what's that, the mountain climber with the yodeler and Plinko. Plinko's always been a favorite. Plinko's great. My dog likes Plinko. He's back there sleeping. But that's his favorite th- uh, show is Price is Right and Plinko. Well, you should watch The Wall with Chris Hardwick, and that's he can you can just watch. Or is that what it's called, The Wall, or is that the that's the show where the people I, would fit through the shapes? But isn't there a new The Wall, and that's Chris Hardwick? I, I don't know. They drop on, balls, and it's like Plinko. Chris Hardwick. I, I I like Chris Hardwick okay when he was you know Jay McCarthy's sidekick, singled out, and then, yeah, when he was singled out. His, <laughs> yeah. 
then he got all fat and disappeared for a while. Then he came back with this Nerdist thing, and his shtick got old really quick for me. So I, I could do without any Chris Hardwick in my life at this point. Yeah, I, I feel about the same. I think when he disappeared, I he was always just kind of, I don't know, I tolerated him for, for Singled Out, and I kind of tolerated that show only a little bit. Anyways, moving on, some of the other TV shows that I watched was... Uh, I watched it. I, I'm watching a little bit more of Atlanta. I got a couple more episodes into that, into the new season. I started and completed Winning Time, the story of the rise of the Lakers, Showtime Lakers on HBO. HBO I hear Max. they're getting the shit suit out of them for that because uh, by uh, the coach and Magic and a bunch of people for basically defamation or something like that. Yeah, I know Jerry West, who was the coach and eventually the GM, and he's kind of the mastermind, or at least I guess he's part of the mastermind of the Lakers, like in that era. He's not happy with his portrayal, and I think if I was him, if it's not true, I, I've heard, you know, he's supposedly like the super laid back guy, and he is not portrayed that way. And they, you know, they, mm. they give the disclaimer that some of these characters are like amalgamations of all these characters kind of put together, and and that it doesn't, it's not, it's based on facts. It's kind of like one of those things where it's based on a true story, but it's not really close to the story. Like, they say things where the scores were different than they were, or they try, you know, they play it for drama. It's dramatic, so... Sure. I did. I did like it. I I think what started happening to me towards the end is I would see a character and I would say, "Oh, who who is that person? Like, who is that in real life?" And I would read stuff about him and I'd be like, "Oh, that's not how they're portrayed in the show." I'm going to abandon reading anything about this show or these people. I'm just going to watch the show and take it for what it was. When I started doing that, I I enjoyed it a little bit more, mm-hmm. but I did enjoy it overall. I think I'd be interested to see if they do another season because it really just covers one season of the Lakers. I mean, it it, right. it it ends the way that the real season ends, I mean, ultimately. So it's no spoiler. Again, that's like a 42-year-old season of basketball. You know, if, if you don't know what happened, you're not going to know what's happening. You know, you're not going to go back and watch a movie about it. Uh, so, yeah, I watched, I started, finished Winning Time. The other thing, uh, the other TV show that I started was Under the Banner of Heaven, which is a movie, uh, not a movie, a show on, I think that's on Showtime. And it's Andrew Garfield, who was Once Upon a Time Spider-Man. And um, it's basically this show. It's kind of like a true crime show about a murder that happens in Utah, like Mormon territory. And it just kind of gets weird from there. And it's that's based on a true story as well. I don't know, like as a book was written about it. I haven't read anything about it. I'm not spoiling myself on that. The last thing that I wanted to mention that I watched again, I had a lot of time on the couch to watch TV and movies was a movie that I had heard about. Uh, and I wanted to go and watch. It's called uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. And it has Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, uh, the guy that played, spoiler, was the Joker, Barry Keoghan or something oh, yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, the, from the, the yeah. Batman. Yeah. He was in it. Yeah. And uh, another kid that was in uh, Jonah Hill movie that Jonah Hill directed about skateboarding, like that happens in the 90s. I want to say it's called like mid 90s or something. Something like that, yeah. I don't. I, I, I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. It's a pretty good movie on its own, but the little, the kid from that movie, the main kid from that movie, is in this movie. Uh, it's really weird. It's really like slowly paced. Uh, the guy that made it, I'm trying to think of the other movies that he made, but he's known for being. He's a Greek director, and he's known for. I think he did. I want to say he did Dogtooth, but I don't think that's him. He's just known for making these kind of really weird stories, and it's basically. I don't really even want to explain it unless you want to hear about it. It's just kind of really off the wall. You have my attention. Go for it. All right. Well, if I can remember what's going on, Colin Farrell is a surgeon. I think he's a heart surgeon. And Nicole Kidman is his wife. And 
Colin Farrell starts meeting with this kid who his father died in a, they say it's in a car accident. And the kid just starts hanging out with him. Like, I don't know if he's trying to mentor him. They don't really get into why they're, how they got together. But it's the kid of this guy who died in a car accident who happened to be Colin Farrell's patient at one point. And he starts to kind of hang out with them. And he shows like a lot of interest. He's really kind of clingy. And it's all secretive. Like they all kind of go behind other people's backs and whatnot to kind of meet each other. And Colin Farrell introduces him to his family. And then he goes to the kid's house to have dinner with the mom, the widow, and she is Alicia Silverstone. So that's interesting. And she starts uh, coming on to him. Yeah, all kinds of 90s actresses that I I was about to say, like, I don't remember the last time I saw Nicole Kidman in anything, but I really don't remember the last time I saw Alicia Silverstone in anything. Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff with Nicole Kidman, but Alicia Silverstone is another story. But she starts coming on to him, and he rebuffs her advances. And the kid basically puts a curse on the family, on Colin Farrell's family. And he says, hey, listen, you're going to go through these four. He just says it matter of factly. He's like, you're going to go through these four different things. They're going to first, somebody in your family is going to be paralyzed, like they're not going to be able to walk. Number two will be they will they will refuse all food. Number three, blood will start coming out of their eyes. And number four, one of them will die. And it's, when you start seeing the blood coming out of their eyes, it's going to be really close to the end. There's not really going to be anything you can do to save them. So what you have to do is you have to sacrifice a member of your family to make up for my dad dying. So it gets really, I don't know, it's really odd. It's its just a weird movie. Like if you're into weird stuff, it is kind of long. I think it's about two hours. So it is kind of, you start to, it's one of those things where you start to get like, okay, when is this going to end? But it's really yeah. weird. It sounds like it would be, it, it would have to be like at least a two and a half hour movie to get to all those points. Yeah. And that's only like the first half of the movie. Like the rest of it is dealing with, you know, what's going on in the family. So it's, it's, it's just, hopefully I didn't give too much away if anybody's interested in watching it, but uh, it was, it was really interesting. Somewhat interested now. I didn't even know this movie existed. Yeah. So that's, that was it for me. I watched a couple the new Spider-Mans and all that stuff. But other than that, nothing else I really want to talk about. (laughs) So I finally, uh, I finished Peacemaker which was just full of James Gunn goodness, like we had talked about before. It almost has like a giant creature from Slither at the end of it, mm-hmm. which I thought was entertaining. Um, but that movie's I that movie that sh- that show I I'm sure they'll give it a season two because why wouldn't you at this point? But certainly uh, exceeded my expectations on that show, and and I appreciate you talking it up and yelling at me for not watching it because I probably would have ignored it otherwise. Well, that's good. I was kind of worried after, based on the last conversation we had, that you were kind of lukewarm on it. But I think it it does. It's one of those shows where it picks up after the first couple episodes. You're kind of you kind of like it, and then you know, kind of like starts to get a little stagnant, and then it really like goes off the deep end in another direction. They did a good job of making you care about the relationships between the characters, and that's kind of what carries the show. Yeah, the first I don't know two or yeah two ish episodes or so, it kind of feels like they're just throwing a lot of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks and flushing things out but once it once it gets moving it, it works quite a bit better so it, it was entertaining and it's nice to be, I, I was at like an hour runtime show maybe a half it goes quick like whether it's a you know hour show or half hour whatever it was it doesn't feel like you're sitting in front of the tv that long or like waiting for something to happen it moves pretty pretty quick through the whole thing i'm gonna go out of order because i'll stick with tv and then i'll go to the the movie part in a second but i started watching uh Ham and Tommy on Hulu, uh, which is the 
I don't get the impression that this is a very uh, close to reality version of the story. What are you talking about? Tommy Lee's dick didn't talk to him? You know, the great thing about that, because my wife watched the show before I did, and she goes, oh my God, Tommy Lee's dick talks to him. I'm like, okay. She didn't tell <laughs> How is me that. that? Work? Um, well, no, not that. She didn't tell me that the dude from uh, Rocky from the league and Jason... Um, Manzukas? Yeah, him. She didn't tell me that was the guy who played his dick. I was like, that would have made me watch it like right from, you know, day one because he's he's fucking hilarious. I'm about halfway through that though, and I was annoyed because I got to episode four. I'm like, is this gonna get fucking entertaining or is this gonna just keep going in this? This dude had a whole safe stolen from his house, and it took him a fucking year to realize that the safe was stolen from his house. How important is the stuff in the safe? I will say, and I might get some hate for this i do think that machine gun kelly played a better tommy lee than the uh dude playing him in this by far but i kind of get the impression we're getting a different tommy lee than the uh having the too young to fall in love machine gun kelly version that was in the dirt as opposed to the middle age probably coked out well they don't really, they show him doing a little bit of drugs in it uh version that's in this show yeah verge of middle age right he's i think he's in the dirt he's supposed to be like tw- 20s late 20s kind of well, They're the becoming established. Stretches, yeah, that's where it's that's where the majority of the movie is. It goes all the way to like the end of their well, wherever they are when that came out, right. basically. Current day as to whenever that was. Yeah. What movie's what, two years old? Yeah, two or three. Yeah, so they, they show them as old Motley crew in that, but it's not like part of the story really. This is like mid nineties, you know, Tommy Lee. So like the the people that play the rest of Motley Crue, like one, they don't really look like Motley Crue. They just look like guys that like if you went to a costume party and said, go, let's get four guys and dress them up like Motley Crue. This is kind of what you would get. <laughs> Motley Crue cosplayers. Right. But I mean, the shows, like I said, I, I really like Nick Offerman, especially as a sleazy like foreign dealer that that's entertaining to me. Seeing Seth Rogen with a mullet is kind of redeeming in some way. I, I don't have a problem with that. So. It's worth, I guess, if you don't mind seeing Tommy Lee talk to his dick, it's worth watching. How much are Offerman and, and Rogan in it? So I'd say if Pam and Tommy are like the one and two character, they're the three and four characters, especially, oh, okay. Seth, especially Seth Rogan. He's the, he's the guy who steals the tape. So when they're not focused on Tommy and Pam, they're focused on Seth Rogan. And Nick Offerman plays his uncle, who uh, is the, essentially he's the guy who shows him how to sell the tape or hooks him up with people on how to sell the tape. So he's he's a pretty big part of it. I, I get the impression that he's about to disappear based off what happened in uh, the last episode I watched. I don't know how much I'm going to, because he basically just hopped a plane to Amsterdam in the show. So I'm like, oh, I hope he's not gone. Whenever Nick Offerman's on TV, he has my full attention. The other thing I caught this week was the movie X which I'm not quite sure how I feel about that movie yet. I do think it's being a little overhyped by the horror community. I, I liked it, but I don't think it's the uh, modern classic that it's getting called. Have you watched it yet? No, not yet. I The only thing, I kind of just watched a couple seconds of it, and it seems like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, which I'm sure I will be, and I'm sure you will, it seems to me like it's kind of trying to go for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe. Yeah, No, you're not wrong. Um, I don't know if that's what they're trying for. So that's one of the things that I I wasn't going to go too far into it because I don't really want to ruin the movie. uh, Yeah, let's not do that. But um, I I will say that I can see where all the Texas Chainsaw comparisons are coming from. 
mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, like story wise and all that. They're they're aside from being in Texas, they're really not that similar. Um, but I, I get why it's drawing those that as a comparison point. Mm-hmm. I I would say like so this is one that probably would be a uh, episode worth doing just because it's a newer horror movie. The only thing I was like, God, I don't know if I really want to watch that again, but you know, I would do it for, for the, uh, for the show. Yeah. Do it for the <laughs> listens. Right. So, but, I mean, um, you know, we could, you could not, you don't have to watch it again. If you feel like you have enough to piece together via, you know, reading a summary and like, Oh yeah, I'm not we sure could do I that. Do. Um, okay. I watched it while, <laughs> I watched it while I was working. So, and I, I, so I kept getting pulled away from it. So it's, it's only like an hour and a half movie, something mm-hmm. like that, which, which I appreciate. But because I was watching it while I was working and people kept fucking bugging me, it took me like two and a half hours to get through it. So I have a pretty like good feel of what the movie is and obviously how it progressed and what happened in it. If I was going to talk about it extensively, I feel like I should probably actually watch it relatively uninterrupted from start to finish. Is that something we do here? We talk about movies extensively? Occasionally. We have one that we're going to talk about today if we'd like to. (laughs) Why don't you... Why don't you tell us what it's all about? So today we're going to talk about Minnesota. All right. So uh, today we're going to talk about the currently the 3178th most popular movie that is on IMDb. That would be the 1985 classic, uh, The Return of the Living Dead. This is a movie that I, I don't even know where to start with this one because there's so many. I, I have nothing but good things to say about this movie. Like this would be a hard one for me to pick apart and critique. I fully admit that the, a lot of that has to do with my own nostalgia for it. Like I'm pretty sure this is the first movie where I saw a like fully nude woman in it. I could be wrong about that, but I'm, I feel pretty strong about that at the same time. There's no real research in this, but this is the first movie that I remember coming out that I would say there was a pretty obvious effort to insert a lot of intentional comedy from start to finish in this movie. I I don't think anyone would really argue that. You mind if I read the storyline, basically what the movie's about? Go for it. All right. right. So the storyline is when a bumbling pair of employees at a medical supply warehouse accidentally release a deadly gas into the air, the vapors cause the dead to reanimate as they go on a rampage through Louisville, Kentucky, seeking their favorite food, brains. I, from watching this movie, I think... I really only got near the very end, like what happens at the end, which I'm not going to get into right now. I didn't realize this was Kentucky. You know, it's, it, I mean, there's nothing about the screams Kentucky and I, who knows? I, I, I think it th- says Kentucky in the opening, um, when they're all walking across to the, uh, okay. Warehouse. Yeah, like the I think opening credits says, and whatnot. yeah. I think it actually says the date, the time and the mm. location, um, when they're driving, it looks like they're driving through like a, a garbage chute or something, but, um, right. when they're in suicide's car and they have like a two second pause on the screen, I think one of the things it puts on there is that they're in Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically a bunch of kids. I guess they're not really, they don't look like kids at all. They're adults, but a, bu- a group of, I don't know. Adolescents. Uh, yeah. Old, uh, early twenties. Let's just say. Sure. Or college age kids uh, are going out to party. Their friend got a new job. He's working at this medical supply warehouse. He's working with uh, an older guy, and they meet the o- the owners there. Clue Gallagher plays the owner, and they kind of you know he's the the older guy showing the younger guy the ropes. All the friends are waiting for the younger guy to get out of work so they can party in a cemetery. Well, they were they're just waiting in the cemetery because that's where they can go because they don't want to buy gas. Right. Yeah, it would be too expensive. They don't want to buy gas and whatever. Right. 
they just assume that Freddy, who is the younger of the two guys of, um, I don't know, the casting in this movie is amazing, but we'll come back to that in a second, just because I don't want to get too far off the plot. But yeah, that's the uh, general start of this movie. This movie progresses pretty quickly. Like, it doesn't spend a whole lot of time um, dwelling on bullshit. Basically, the two bumbling idiot uh, guys, because they're working in a medical supply warehouse, you get to see a corpse that's like in a body bag pretty early. You get to see a bunch of uh, split dogs and Freddy's essentially coming through what looks like a body parts catalog, I guess. I, I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be. And as a result of that, Frank decides to start uh, talking about the movie Night of the Living Dead. So this is one of, again, another one of the first, or at least, I, I don't know, this is actually the first, but one of the first that I remember is this movie is aware of movie horror movies existing in its universe. Um, and it treats it as fact, at least up to a point. It's interesting that they were at, well, Night of the Living Dead was public domain, so I guess they could have used that title without too much of an issue. Right. So for those that don't know, this movie has the title Return of the Living Dead. Uh, the writer of this movie was also a writer on Night of the Living Dead. Somewhere along the line, him and Ramiro decide to go their separate ways. God knows how, but as a result of uh, some legal dispute, uh, John A. Russo, who was the writer, he got to retain the rights to the name Living Dead for any future movies. And that's why uh, Romero started using Of the Dead or whatever he decided to title his zombie movies. So in some ways, you could almost call this a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. I don't think anyone really does that for the obvious reasons that would be slanderous against, you know, our Lord and Savior Romero. But it is in some ways you could look at it as a successor to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, it's like a fork on the road from the from the Living Dead or I'm sorry, of the Dead series and the this series. series to yeah. the series. Yeah, because yeah, there are several sequels to this movie. It's not just the one. It's and actually just like mention, six now. Yeah. I think and there's a bunch. Making it, which is also weird. So. Yeah. And just to mention the director of this movie is uh Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon had a a great career in horror, sci-fi. He did a lot of stuff for Alien, Aliens, the Aliens franchise. Uh he's just if you look him up, there's just a ton of stuff that he's done that you would recognize if you're a sci-fi or horror fan. He's he's pretty much run the gamut of stuff you can do between like directing. I think he's only directed a few movies. I think he only did like four or five. But, you know, he directed, he wrote a lot. I think he did, like, art, concept art and stuff, maybe even some special effects, slight mm. special effects stuff. But he's his IMDb page is just kind of crazy with all the different kind different kinds of credits that he has. Well, that, that feels like a good spot to say, like, this movie is really a who's who of the, the horror genre in the 80s. Like, you have a slew of people that have been scattered throughout the Friday the 13th movies, including Tom Matthews, the dude who played suicide. He was in... Part five, uh, Mark Venturi, Miguel Nunez, who's arguably a fan favorite, who's, you know, in a ton of movies, but it's also in Friday the 13th, part five. Joanna Man himself. Yes, Joanna Man. Or herself, I guess. You got Leanna Quigley, who is, as far as I know, probably the first woman that I saw fully nude, which I'm pretty much okay with that. And then I realized later, I'm like, gosh, she's nude in like every movie that she's yeah. in, like all over the place. She looks great, to her credit. Oh, yeah. But yeah, absolutely. So she, you know, she pops up in Night of the Demons, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Even guys like Frank was in, uh, I believe he was in Poltergeist. Maybe it was Bertha. One of them was in Poltergeist. This movie is really just littered with people that are horror movie 
I don't want to call them royalty. Maybe, maybe Land and Quigley, but really like they just went to a lot and of horror movie extras and said, "You guys want to be in a movie?" And they just all kind of jumped in the truck and came and shot this movie. And truthfully, most of them really kind of, you know, it, it is not without a share of cheese in this. Like you can look back and say, "There's some things like Brian Peck is kind of that scuzz. His name really suits him." And when you find out what he is now. But you don't really get that in the actual movie. We don't find that out till years after this movie was shot, that he's a creep. I don't know. I don't know the history of this guy, but if you want to talk about it, you can. If you don't, that's cool, too. I just real short version is he's a fucking creep, and I wouldn't let my kids around him if I had kids. So we'll just leave it at that. Okay. I can I can uh, gather what you're... I can pick up what you're putting down. It's, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to derail it going off on that too much. But yeah, each each character on this really does kind of make you... You know, it's funny, like, growing up in that whole, like, punk scene and seeing shit like that, like, you really do see, like, this is, this group of, you know, misfits is really what you see in that type of scene. You got your kid who's, like, the the mod or the, the new wave kid that wears a suit for no apparent reason. You got the over-the-top guy in Suicide who's like, this is a fucking lifestyle, man. No one understands me. You got the, the goth spooky chick that is always, you know, drugged up and horny. You know, it hits all the um, stereotypes, but manages to do it in a way that's somehow entertaining as opposed to insulting uh, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I don't I don't run. I never ran in circles like that. But to me, the characters seemed I didn't get the impression that they were all kind of like I mean, they all seemed friendly and they all seemed like they were friends. But I didn't get the impression that these were like archetypes of this kind of thing. I kind of felt like some of it was a little bit too over the top. And like, would these people really be hanging out together? But, you know, with you saying that, if if you have experience with that, then then I'll take your word on it. I mean, I don't know that they would be brought together this way, but to see them all in the same room at one time wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay. So they might not necessarily hang out together, but you could see all these types of people in a crowd. Truthfully, the only one that really doesn't make sense to me as far as this group of people is uh, Tina, which is, I don't know if you want to call her the final girl of this, but she's the, she's Freddie's girlfriend in the movie. And she's like the... How clean cut all American girl, I yeah, guess. Like preppy, I guess I would just, yeah. that would be, that's how I would describe her. Yeah. She's the only one that doesn't really make sense in this whole group of, you know, weirdos, basically. I mean, this movie, though, it just does, it has a great soundtrack to it. It, you know, it features bands like The Cramps, who I unintentionally put a Cramps t shirt on today that wasn't on purpose. Bands like PSOL, The Damned. Um, it's got a great soundtrack from start to finish. It has a very different vibe to it from, especially if you compare it to the Romero movies. Romero movies are very punishing in a lot of ways. Like they're heavy, they're at least up through the first three, they're big white plays on social commentary. Yeah, very serious. Yeah. Very stern, very serious, just not, they don't, they don't play around. Yeah. This movie plays around. So this movie's got some of the best one-liners in movie history. So going back to when um, Frank is talking about Night of the Living Dead with Freddy, basically the shorthand version is he tells them that there's these military tanks in our basement and they go downstairs and they're checking them out. And there's the uh, first zombie that you see that is, I guess he's like cryo frozen in this tank. Yeah, something like that. They call them the eggs, don't they? Like the egg has hatched. Right. That's what the military calls them at at the end of the movie. I'm not sure if Frank referred to them as that, but sure. So Freddy's like, oh, or, or what happens if they get out? What happens if they break this? And of course, like an asshole, Frank's like, this is U.S. American made steel, finest quality, and just kicks it, basically. And 
all hell breaks loose from there. You see a big cloud of smoke and actually a really good piece of scoring work that's very 80s inspired. It's very like Casio keyboard, but heavy somehow. And essentially like they go through the credits and now we're at the point where, okay, shit's going to start happening. The way that they do the gas escaping and they do this, the title sequence is this whole montage of you seeing the gas kind of escape out of the tank, go into the room, go through the vents, you know, kind of like infest the entire warehouse. It just has a really cool, a really cool storytelling vibe that they kind of, that they go through so that you can see, oh, this is what happened. This is the aftermath of this gas getting out. It it does a really good job of showing how this, this version of zombieism is that a word? Uh, how this version of zombies are going to spread. Like it, it starts with a gas. It um, reanimates the corpse that you see maybe five minutes earlier that's sitting in the room. All of a sudden, the two guys, that, the two bumbling idiots, have to call Bert back and they have to deal with this zombie that is now inside of a uh, freezer trying to get out and eat them. Yeah, Bert's the owner of the of the medical warehouse who becomes pr- a pretty key figure in the rest of the movie. But this is where we start to get the playbook of how to deal what with these zombies work. or what how they think they should be dealing with these zombies. Right. So what's fun about this and this area of the movie is where, in my opinion, you get one of the best movies in all of or best lines of all all of horror history. One of my favorite lines to quote. So they're they're deciding they're trying to figure out how to deal with this thing and they decide it's going to ruin the business. We're going to kill the zombie and move on and get rid of it and go on with their day. So they're like, well, what do we do? They're like, well, in the movie, they, what did they do? They, they shot him in the head, right? They, they destroyed the brain. Destroyed the brain. Yep. So they go and they let the zombie out and he runs out of the freezer, like a naked bat out of hell. He's out, he's screaming, he's knocking shit over and they wrestle him to the ground and take a fire ax and just straight up brain this dude right in the middle of the floor. It was minimal effect. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the only thing it, it accomplished was pinning him to the floor, his head to the ground. Right. He's freaking out, and all three of our, our heroes at this point are also freaking out, and that's where you get to hear the line. Christ, it ain't dying! I thought you said if we destroyed the brain, it'd die. It worked in the movie! Well, it ain't working now, Frank. You mean the movie line? After that, they start deciding to... Uh, dismember the body, kind of take it apart, and figure out what they're how they're going to deal with this. And it, the the situation, the shit just rolls downhill quick. While they're doing that, we cut over to this is about where the graveyard scene happens, which is probably the most well known scene in this movie that oddly features no zombies, where the 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 punker kids are all partying and doing their thing, and uh, for some reason, Leanna Quigley, whose name is respectfully chosen as trash. <laughs> <laughs> She just decides to take all her clothes off and start dancing on a gravestone. Thankfully, her, I don't know if it's her boyfriend or just someone that she's into. They, they never really say what their relationship is, but he had the, the foresight to remember to tell everyone to bring the road flares because there's. They're dancing around like a rave with these road flares to light everything. It, it's pretty comical. And, and basically, from this point of the movie, you have one naked woman that's running around for really the rest of the runtime. Right. She'll appear places or pop up out of in places. And there's your naked lady. Yeah. She gets progressively less attractive throughout the movie, but there's reason for that. So, so you, you get to watch uh, Freddie and you get to watch the uh, Bert and Frank kind of hauling these rabbit weasels, is what they call them, over to a mortuary across the road and they convince the 
mortician, Ernie, to help him out because they don't, you know, they don't want to get in trouble. And he's at first like, no, but then they show him what's in the bag after they tell him it's rabid weasels. And so they get the great idea of like, okay, we're going to burn the corpse, reduce everything to ashes. Problem should be solved. Sounds like a great idea. That's what I do. It seems like it should work. After they convince Ernie to burn these things, that just makes the problem worse. All of a sudden, the smoke from the ashes gets into the air, and they get what is essentially called acid rain uh, in this, and that saturates the ground, and now the virus is no longer uh, airborne. It's now going through water, I guess. like All you need to do is get wet, and it's basically going to turn you if you're already dead. Yeah, and it's like a monsoon. This is like a torrential downpour, like the storm of the century just happens to be rolling through as the the shit goes up in the air and goes into the clouds and in the atmosphere. And there were no clouds in this. Uh, like, so you you only get like this. This whole movie takes place in one night, but you don't really get a good idea. I think when they get to the graveyard, they say it's about eight o'clock and they're waiting till 10 o'clock when Freddie gets off work. So it's maybe an hour and there is like not a cloud in the sky before the sun goes down. So this. I, I guess the smoke makes clouds and just all of a sudden it's a flash storm. It's a flash night storm. Yeah, right. So this is where you get a really entertaining reveal of zombies. Like you no longer have just your one zombie where it's a control thing. All of a sudden, this is where you get the zombies that are uprooting themselves from the grave. They never really explain how they get through their coffins or you know anything like that. They're just pulling themselves up. Uh, you get one uh, skeleton that looks very reminiscent of the Evil Dead 2 skull with the eyeballs still in his head. Yeah, that's, I've mentioned before, I do the I like, I hate, I do the meh. The skeleton with the eyeballs is a meh, because that's like, I think they show the grave, the gravestone, and it's a hundred-year-old skeleton. Why, it doesn't have any flesh, it's just a skeleton, there's nothing actually even for it to Why animate. Why does he still have eyes? Why does it have eyeballs? Yeah. There has to be a statute of limitation on how long you can function after death like you can't be a skeleton for a hundred years and then oh i don't have there's nothing animating me but i'm able to pull myself out of the dirt it's entertaining but it just doesn't make any sense well i mean at the same time you complain about the uh supports that you see on the the skeleton that's holding it up right you get you know all that stuff if you really want to and the skeleton doesn't even pull itself up he just like emerges like straight yeah, comes up, up like an erection ground. just <laughs> pops through the dirt and he's like ah let's go <laughs> But, I mean, this scene is a pretty good scene of just hell breaking loose. You get, like, five minutes of just uprooted zombies running around and grabbing anything they can and just straight up murdering it. Yeah. So, you know, even in a poorly lit, like, backlot cemetery, it looks really well done. You're not getting, like, a whole ton of gore and a whole ton of effects at this point. You're just seeing people basically, like, tackle people and, you know, you, you know what's going yeah, on. I don't think anybody else really knows... Because the people that caused the issue are still inside the locked mortuary, and all the punker kids are just still partying. Like they're not, they're, or they're getting wet and they're trying to get out of the rain. They're not even aware that anything's going on. Anything's going on quite yet. Well, they're aware that things are coming out of the ground, but that's about the extent that they're aware of with it. So essentially, what they end up doing, they go back to the medical supply shop to try to pull to find Freddy and find out what the fuck's going on. And that's where we get introduced to another memorable character, which, if I remember right, is one that you don't like. Um, this is where you get the first real appearance of Carman in his full glory. Oh, I don't, I don't dislike him. He just really creeps me out. Like that, I watching it this time, it didn't, I didn't notice it as much. He seems like he moves normally, but like the first couple times I saw this, 
you know, the way that he moves is really rhythmic almost, but spastic at the same time. So it's, I, it almost looks like a cartoon character, the way how just wet he looks. The makeup's really well done. I mean, it's a guy underneath all that stuff, but sure. it's so, so trimmed down that the costume or the, the outfit is so trimmed down that it almost doesn't look like a person could be in there. He look he moves like a uh, goth raver to me. Like I, I, anytime I've been to a goth club and had to watch him dance, that's kind of what he does. It's very Tarman like, which almost gives credit to goth, but not really. But this is another thing where you could see a kind of cool evolution of how they're portraying zombies. This is the, yeah, this is probably the first zombie that you actually see speak in this movie. They actually not only speak, they the zombie has problem solving skills. Like the zombie is. Uh, comes out because um, Tina is looking for Freddy. She goes into the basement where the cans are and, you know, she finds Tarman instead. And we're expected to believe that he is from a second pod. Like, he's not the original guy that melted. He's a second guy. Oh, I just got the impression he's the original guy that melted and just got out of the pod, which doesn't make sense because why didn't he Frank and Freddy while they're passed out and laying on the floor. I just feel like when they do the sequence, the credit sequence, when the thing, when the, it melts, it turns into mush. Like, I don't think that, I don't, it could be, I, it doesn't really matter, but I was just kind of curious. That, that's what they claim, is that he just evaporated yeah. or whatever, but I, I just assumed he got out and, you know, he's tarmic. But yeah, it doesn't really matter. So he's, he, uh, Tina actually locks herself into like a metal cabinet and you get to watch a zombie not just Know, vocalize what he wants there's this um i have no idea why they have it in there but it's like a some kind of chain and pulley system that's in the middle of this basement and he rigs it up to the doors and he starts cranking on it and he's trying to rip the doors off this thing so he can eat some brain and just in the nick of time the leader of the punks comes downstairs and says, what the fuck man and done yeah so, he gets got yeah he gets got pretty pretty good fashion this is one where you get one of the first really gory kills of this movie He's in a pretty big pile of blood. Strangely, does not become a zombie himself at any point. There's a couple people that get eaten in this movie that never you never see turn, but there's other people that you see turn fairly quickly. So the rules are kind of, you know, questionable there, I guess. But you know, our 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 group of punker kids have kind of there's only like half of them there at this point. You know, trash is out in the yard running away, being naked and getting eaten by people. She dies if if you didn't know. Yeah. Um spoiler alert we're gonna get into spoilers for a 30 plus year old movie yeah yeah we, that's what we yeah. do here so <laughs> so yeah they they run back for them basically for the remainder of this movie this is your typical you know body count horror movie where whatever's left of our cast there's probably like five or six kids left and then our three main characters from the well i guess four if you count ernie our four non-punker characters we're basically just whittling them down and picking them off kind of one by one for the remainder of this movie. What makes this movie so great and so entertaining is really, one, the dialogue between the human characters is ridiculous and stupid, but it's really yeah, funny. Yeah, but also and it's ridiculous, it stupid, but also pretty believable. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It almost feels like, you know, the way they're saying things like, what the fuck is this? Why the fuck, you know, I'm going to kick your ass in the process. You know, all these types of responses feel pretty believable. They seem like a normal response to a very abnormal situation, yeah. I guess. As different as they all are, they do seem like they are, the way that they talk to each other, they seem like they are friendly. Like they all know each other. 
they talk to each other like friends talk to each other, not like typical movie dialogue would be between people that are supposed to be friends, whereas this sounds more natural. Yeah, it, it does play off really well with that. And even when they're dealing with like um, Bert and, and uh, Ernie, you know, once they, the two groups Did meet Did you ever up, notice that they're called Bert and Ernie until now? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Um, most, well, he has them earned throughout the whole yeah. movie, but yeah, I, I've, I've, or I've, I've caught it before because I've talked about it and said Bert and Ernie. Like, the um, funny thing is Ernie looks like a Bert. Yeah, he does. Um, even looking at his picture now where he's all old and decrepit, I, I got it pulled up on IMDb right now. He looks a lot like a Bert. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, even when like they're, when you get Spider, so your main guys that really kind of live through the majority of the movie, you get Spider, uh, Scuzz goes pretty far into the movie and Tina are the three that kind of really are your, your punker characters that, that carry on. And then Bert, Ernie, um, Freddie and Frank go for quite a while too. Yes. <laughs> You're going to laugh every time we say that. Well, now, when you, you say it, when I say it, it's going to be fine. But when you say it, I'll laugh. <laughs> yeah. But even though you get like spider arguing with Bert or something like that, and he's, you know, and I'll piss off with them, and then they're kind of firing off on each other. You never get the impression that these two are going to actually harm each other, but they do a good job of kind of being pissed off at each other in like a you know suitable R-rated way. You get to see a lot of other cool things in this movie too. Like uh, again, these zombies are one. You get running zombies in this movie, which, as far as I know, is the first time you see running zombies. So all you people that want to get mad at Zack Snyder for having running zombies, this was. 17 years later i think that was 2002 when his dawn of the dead came yeah that's, out. that was one of the things i had in my notes this uh, I, as far as i can think of and i'm not an aficionado by any means but that this is one of the first instances that i can remember of verbalizing like you said earlier they have some kind of mm -hmm. intelligence and that they can move fast and they can run because they they charge after people you know charge after people trying to get what they want which is brains they have full-on conversations at one point <laughs> and then they freak out and just start screaming brains, 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 like over and over again. Like they, they have full on temper tantrums as, you know, parts of them. You know, you get other great lines like you hear, you watch one dude just feasting on a paramedic and he hears the uh, CV radio asking like to, for the, the paramedics to check in. He straight up crawls over to the uh, radio and says, uh, hello, dispatch, send more paramedics. <laughs> So he's not only smart enough to say, send more paramedics. He says, has a conversation with the dispatch, which if you want to clip that in, it will probably sound better than me doing it. But yeah, I mean, you get that. And, you know, as the situation escalates, you start with paramedics. You know, of course, they get off pretty quickly after they send more, a second group of paramedics in. And actually, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie is when they send the second uh, group of paramedics in because they go in and they just see like an empty lot with this one open door on a uh, ambulance and um they go over to check it out and the like guttural noises that come out of the zombies it's not screaming brains or anything like that it's like it goes from dead silence to full-on riot like yeah and they get swarmed um, and the guys just, they're like Whoa. they just have this really far <laughs> shot this you know zoomed shot and they're just like it's kind of funny to see them kind of pantomime and we should say the reason that the paramedics actually get sent are because our bumbling fools, our bumbling employees, they are feel really ill, and we just find out that they're basically showing no signs of, no no heart rate, no you know their their temperatures like seven seventy degrees something like that. They're basically white. They're at room. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we went a little out of sequence with that, so they don't actually know that the at that point when they call the paramedics that the the graveyard is full of you know cannibals at this point. Um, when they call the paramedics uh, because they don't feel good, this is right after they burn the the um, first corpse, and right as the two groups of Bert and Ernie and the punkers. That should be a movie name. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that's a good title, <laughs> right? So when they they kind of get introduced to each other, reintroduced to each other, I guess at that point, and somewhere between in the middle of that is where they call the, the paramedics, and that's why they show up. Of course, as the paramedics show up and get killed, then the cops show up, and it just ratchets up bit by bit by bit as this swarm of zombies keeps getting more and more aggressive and really creative uh as they you know figure out ways to lure people to them yeah the cops become like a domino you know like they they capture the, they eat the first couple cops then they send more cops you know send more cops and then they have a lineup of cop cars it's like a riot yeah spot. yeah and they get um, all ambushed <laughs> right before i go into some other thoughts on it, are there any like made because i mean what really ends up happening with this movie we it kind of moves along and it goes I, I don't really think that they had the intention of making this a its own franchise until after this movie came out because of how they end this movie. Um, basically, you know, I'm going to cut ahead here and we can circle back around if there's something that I'm missing. Basically, what ends up happening is this movie just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating until finally Bert gives in. And, um, you know, we didn't say this earlier, but there's a number stenciled on the side of the tank to call in case of they want you to call in case you find these things because he doesn't want to fuck up his business he waits until it's you know way out of control and um essentially the military just very happy nukes kentucky yeah it's actually not that many casualties i think they say it's only like two thousand casualties or something like that it's not it i thought it was more than that i don't but... think it's that many which is kind of surprising like okay you nuked you know, maybe a small nuke, but still, that's going to wreck a place for quite a while. Right. Um, I mean, it does kind of leave it open to, you know, more because it, one of the things they're showing in this, like, bad, like, clip ending is they show, uh, they're like, oh, sir, it's fine. Like, there, there's some fires, but, you know, don't worry about it. The rain's coming along. It's raining pretty hard. It's going to put it out. And, you know, we already know that the rain is really just going to make it dramatically worse. Right, it's going to spread so, the disease. Right. They could have left this movie as it is and been a good standalone and you're just kind of left to think, well, that that didn't work and, you know, move on. You can make a strong argument that maybe they should have done that because really the the rest of the series never gets anywhere close to as entertaining as this. I do think that the immediate sequel to this part two, it's it's not as bad as a lot of people say it is, but it's not nearly as good as what this one is. Is Um, Is the two part two, the one where they're like in the they're cat burglars or something, right? They're thieves or something. Yeah, and it has yeah, and I don't know if they play the same characters in it, but it has um Frank and Freddy as two uh their great Yeah, I actually like that one it. quite a bit. I mean um, I have a soft spot in my heart for it. It's one of those ones that I caught on cable at somebody's house and didn't even know what it was for years. Yeah, it's it's definitely not as good as the first one is, but it's it's not bad. It's it, you know, it it holds its own. Yeah, so in the second movie, Frank is named Ed, and Tom is Tom Matthews is or uh, Freddie is Joey. So I guess they're different, technically different characters, even though it's the same relationship that they have in the first one. Basically, the one thing that I found interesting was that number that is stenciled on the side of the egg. It's one eight hundred four five four eight thousand, 
So if anybody listening to this wants to call that number and then leave us a message on on the anchor page for this site or for this podcast and let us know what what happens when I don't want to call it personally, because what if it is the army? But and they nuke my house. I mean, God forbid. <laughs> but yeah, if anybody calls that, let us know what what it actually answers to. Actually, I would I would love to hear that. So um, one thing that I do find kind of funny about this, um, this movie has. So I don't know where this cut exists because I don't think I've ever seen it. But this movie was like edited down for TV like a lot um, in really weird ways. One of the things that they changed in it, like so there's a version. So I actually never even noticed this until I was looking at like random factoids and trivia for this movie. But the, the back of Freddy's jacket in the theatrical or the R-rated cut says, fuck you on the back. Right. Yep. When they changed it for TV, they made it say television version on the back of the jacket. <laughs> That's which great. That's great. I almost think it's yeah. funnier. Um, so the other thing that's really bizarre, and they made this change so that they could air this movie on television. They made Leanna Quigley shave her cooch out, um, down to nothing so that she could wear some kind of prosthetic so that they could animate a G-string over her naked body with the prosthetic. So almost like a which, green bikini or something that they could just fill in with something chroma key it. Yeah, I would assume it was probably green or something like that. But yeah, but it's interesting that they made her shape to do that. Like, can she just put a G-string right. on her? Uh, and just, if that's yeah, what you just, were going yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. I did notice when she's dancing around nude that, you know, you, eyes naturally go towards that area. It just looked odd. Like, I don't know if it's because it was shaved or if she was wearing the thing in the scene and they blocked it out somehow, or I don't know. So reading about it, like, you know, there's there's a bunch of surprisingly a huge amount of interviews about her talking about her vagina on this um, movie. One of the funny things she goes, I don't think anyone's ever paid as much attention to my vagina as when I shot that graveyard scene, which is interesting. The big, I don't know if controversy, I guess controversy is the right word, was that, you know, before she shaved it, like, showing pubic hair in a movie was relatively commonplace, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, it, it wasn't that big a deal. So, it was a really weird move. It was like taking four steps backwards to take one step forward to make this digital effect that didn't seem worth it. When they can just cut the scene out. I mean, it's it, her. And like I said, if this, she's still showing her top, right? Oh, yeah, she's, and again, that's why I said this is for a TV cut. So if this TV cut exists, I've never seen it. And, you know, we're, we're in the, we're in America. Like in America, America. violence is what get right. Violence gets cut down or nudity gets, nudity gets cut down way more than violence. But this movie is violent enough that I don't know how you make this movie and cut it for TV without cutting out at least 50%. You know, I wonder if what they do is they shot it with her and they did like one of those things where they zoom the whole picture in. So you don't see the top half of her, because I think a lot of the action specifically like the flare waving scenes are all on the bottom half of the screen. So you could probably, it's entirely. Yeah. Yeah. They, they actually crop it so that you're not even seeing her face. It's like from roughly, because they show a lot of it from behind um, as opposed to the front of her. But yeah, it's basically from like shoulder down. Yeah, they could just zoom whole, in, you know? So you, you just see your legs right. basically or or the bottom half of her yeah. with the digital G-string or whatever we're going to call it, the, the right. digital Merkin cover. Yeah, I part of me that really wants to see this TV cut just to kind of pick out all the... Cause 
if, if those are the two factoids I could find about it, what else? Yeah. Like, you know, um, this is, I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw this movie late night on TV at some point and they, I don't, I don't remember it, but I don't know how you would air this on at like, this is not a movie that gets aired at like eight o'clock no, on ABC. This is like a USA like up that. all night edited version. If you're going to see it. Right. Right. Um, or like back in the day with us, uh, you know, Cinemax at like 2 yeah. a.m. That the thing, thing I thought was really interesting, and I thought you were going to mention this as part of the edits, but it has some really weird things that go on, like edit-wise, where it's you can tell. I don't know if it's the version I was watching because it was, you know, it was transcoded in some way that there was more like artifacting, but you could see where scenes were instead of they just didn't shoot enough footage, so they would loop or they would get to a certain point and then reverse it. Yeah, it was just yeah. really odd. And then yeah. the the skeleton that pops up at the end is the same skeleton that we see at the beginning when all of them start popping up with the eyes, the evil dead looking skeleton. It's the same one. So it's just kind of weird that they don't didn't film something different and that they use reused footage where they might show a sky. They kind of pan through the sky and then they go backwards or they just loop it. It's just, it was just really weird. That's what's another thing that's kind of interesting about this. Again, you know, it, it really makes me wonder what you could do with this kind of budget and with this kind of intent on a movie. Now, this is a, Four million dollar budgeted movie, which one I'm amazed that they got four million dollars to make this movie. Um, after we were just talking recently about Friday the Thirteenth and how that was shot on five hundred and fifty thousand yeah, dollars, five years earlier, and, six years earlier. Mm-hmm. Right. So the fact that they got four million dollars to make this movie is, is almost like mind blowing. But to be able to get this, you know, take take the the datedness out of it and the, the all that type of shit away. Just the, the way this movie looks and the way the effects come off and the practical effects that are for the most part executed pretty well. And even most of the, um, the props that they use for, you know, the corpses, the zombies, et cetera, they, they don't look real. I wouldn't go that far to say they look real, but they look good for what they're trying to do in the movie, you know? And then you look at a movie like, you know, the 2018 version of Alien, um, or Aliens, or not Aliens, uh, Predator mm-hmm. that came out. When you compare this to a movie like the uh, 2018 version of The Predator, that was a movie shot with really modern technology and an $88 million budget, and it looked like absolute horseshit. So it really makes you wonder kind of where that industry is and why there's such an emphasis on CG, because it really doesn't seem like that it's the most cost-effective way if you're spending $88 million to get that piece of shit <laughs> where you could take, you know, $4 million and get this much more polished piece of shit that also has entertainment back. Yeah, to I don't it. know if inflation has risen. I know inflation has been out of control lately, but I don't know if inflation has risen that much where four, $4 million in $1985 equals $88 million in uh, 2018 dollars. But, you know, call me crazy. Probably not, but I mean... I, I, would you be shocked if you could make that movie for twenty million? Predator, in current you know American dollars. Oh, this no, one. no, no, Return Not of the Living Predator. Dead. Uh, oh, these yeah. days I would. Yeah, I think I would. I think the effects and everything, but I, I think they probably didn't pay much on actors. One thing I wanted to point out a little piece of trivia that we were since we were talking about edits and trivia that the some of the brains in the movie were calf brains. Did you know about that? And oh, Dan yeah. O'Bannon's yeah, like, I'll eat them. Director, actually, I'll eat them. I'll show you. It's okay. Yeah, he did. 
Well, he did it because he didn't want his actors doing anything that he wasn't willing to do, is what he says. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as not, you know, not having expensive actors, when Miguel, when Jumano Man took this movie, he was homeless. So I don't think uh, that was one of the trivia things I read. I wasn't going to really dwell on it. But yeah, I highly doubt that they had to pay him all that much if he had nothing at that point. And really outside of Tom Matthews and Leanna Quigley, who's really that known in this movie i couldn't clue gallagher of course clue gallagher you don't know clue gallagher see that i mean i know i know him because of this movie but i mean i'm not a big he was a former tv fan. star yeah, but i don't think he, he commanded a big a big paycheck i don't think anybody really did i doubt it i looking at it right now the the only thing that so his so you know how imdb puts their top four movies that they're known yeah. for is this movie Feast, which was not very good. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and The Last Picture Show. Those are okay. the four movies well, that he's The Last Picture Show is somewhat respectable as a cinema, a piece of cinema. But yeah, none of those really stand out as being super great movies. I mean, I think Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is really, it has some points that's really underrated, but not for anything involving the, the Freddy Krueger plot. So, But overall, I mean, this movie for me, this is... In the genre, not just zombie, but in the horror genre, this is probably one of my all-around favorites. It is by no means like the the best of the best movies out there. But um, if I just want to watch something that's got some chaos and you know is entertaining to watch, this is one that I go back to pretty regular just to kind of put on it. It's the Seinfeld of zombie movies. So I'll go on, watch it, and just kind of not overthinking it and just enjoy it. You know, using our hot dog skill, I probably give this uh eight hot dogs out of oh 11 brains oh wow that's a pretty good rating yeah i would i'd i'd agree with that i i think that this is a i haven't seen this in a while but i knew when we kind of discussed movies that we wanted to talk about this was one that had easily come up because i like the fact that it, it blends the horror element a little bit of a humor has it's a little spoofy in a way too you know it kind of doesn't take itself too seriously which i thought was pretty good I would say that, yeah, I'd say my rating, I'd say I'd give it, I'd give it an eight out of 11, eight hot dogs out of 11 lemonades for sure. Yeah. Brain lemonades. Do we got anything we want to add on this before we go? Um, I mean, this is one that makes it, I, I would strong, even if this is not like the, you're not going to get Dawn of the Dead out of this. You're not going to get some, uh, you know, Sean of the Dead out of this either. As far as like the whole horror comedy thing goes, but this is, this is a no brainer to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> no pun intended. You know, this is one that you should, you know, you should own this, watch it. This is one that's worth going back to. This is a, a great movie if you want to get a group of like-minded weirdos together and just kind of pop in and have kind of a party movie to watch. I, I'd have a hard time saying that there's a better option than this. Yeah, I would say that this is a movie where you could definitely put it on, just have it on in the background. But if you wanted to pay attention and you wanted to kind of pick things out, it does have enough elements in there that are kind of you know a little bit deep in there they they reference things from other movies it kind of comes back to points you you can see little subtleties that that kind of make the movie what it is it's it's like you said it's not no Shaun of the dead it's no dawn of the dead but it's still a pretty good it's a pretty good zombie movie overall and i think that that's basically the kind of movies we like to talk about here and and i would say that this gets a like a super strong if not I wouldn't say it's the strongest recommendation. I don't think it's like the best movie that we'll watch or talk about, but I it gets a really strong recommendation if you haven't seen it to go and watch it. If you if you have seen it before, maybe give it another watch. You might pick up on some stuff that you maybe didn't catch the first first couple first couple hundred times. 
<laughs> and yeah, I would agree. This probably isn't the best movie that we'll that we have or or will watch, but it I'd say it's probably one of the most recommendable movies that we will talk about over the course of the show, however long that yeah. goes. Um, and it's not super gory, like, so it's. I know a lot of people aren't into you know they don't like to watch movies that are gory or they they kind of puts them off. If it's almost like a horror movie for people that aren't super into horror, it is. It does have some gory moments, but it's not. It's not crazy. It's cartoon. Yeah, it's not realistic it's violence or, it's, or anything like that. The the, the humor, in, and this is where I, where earlier I was saying, this has a very in, like comedic intent behind it. This is still a horror movie with comedy elements, but the gore and the way that the gore is portrayed is almost always accompanied with a joke or a crazy one-liner or something like that where, yes, you're going to see blood and you're going to see you know all that type mm-hmm. of shit. But in the process, you're going to get something, a joke along with it to kind of give you a chuckle that almost distracts you from the other stuff that you're seeing on the yeah, screen. I agree. But yeah, that's going to wrap this one. So this movie, like that, we we give this our strongest hot dog brain recommendation so far. so far. In the meantime, make sure to check us out on the socials. You can find us at Dewey Pod Monster on everything. Also, if you have a chance, please like us, rate us, review us on Spotify, iTunes. I assume Google has a rating system wherever Anywhere you can. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Also, if you wanted to, like we mentioned, please call the 1-800 number that is stenciled on the can and let us know how that goes. 800-454-8000. Yes. And then um, you can always leave us a message on Anchor FM slash Dewey Podmonster. We will play those back if you want us to. If you don't want us to, that's fine. Just let us know. But we'd like to share your feedback with us with with everyone. Sean, what do you got going on? Go ahead, plug your stuff that you got to plug. Yeah, you can find me at Draft Therapy on the internet, on the interwebs, the authentic, I don't know, aficionado of craft beer, whatever I said. I do mostly YouTube reviews on Michigan beer. We talk about stuff that's not Michigan once in a while. We go to breweries. John and I do our Michigan mandatory brewery segment. You can find me at youtube.drafttherapy.com or just drafttherapy.com. Youtube.drafttherapy.com will take you to the YouTube page with all the videos. There's a couple hundred on there that you you won't have uh you won't be at a loss of what to buy next time you're at the at the party store. I'm on like two of those videos. I feel pretty honored. Yeah. At least two. Maybe maybe three or four. So I, I lost count. <laughs> but uh we will talk to you guys. It's so frequent you've lost count. That's, I am the second most featured person on that channel. So <laughs> I That's true. I, That's I, true. I'll, I'll wear that as a badge of honor. But we will talk to you guys next week. Have a great week. Have some beers, do all that good stuff. Let us know what you think of the show, and we'll talk to you soon.